Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 131 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week I have an update on the mead making, which is going really well, and stay tuned for my thoughts on a much sought-after book reprint that I've been sent to review. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypore Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypore Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypore. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. As you know, Honeypore Hives have been sponsoring part of the podcast this season and I'm very grateful to them for their support. This week we also have a co-sponsor in the form of Northern Bee Books, who are probably the single biggest seller of beekeeping books in the world. Honestly, if it's a beekeeping book, they probably have it if it's available. They've sent me a copy of a reprinted book that has long been on the wish list of many beekeepers and a book that I was lucky enough to get a copy of about 10 years ago. More on the book review shortly, but first my weekly roundup of all things beekeeping here at the Norfolk Honey Company. Well, not to disappoint, I'll start with the weather. It's been raining again and we look set for low pressure to dominate for some days ahead, which means, yes, more rain. Importantly, the temperatures have dropped as the prevailing wind direction switches to a more northerly route. This then has resulted in overnight temperatures dropping to single figures and I would imagine colonies starting to cluster for a short while in the coldest part of the night. The bees are still out foraging on what little ivy remains. I've seen a lot of busy colonies as we've worked our way round removing treatments and taking off the feeders. That job is pretty much complete now with just a couple more apiaries to sort. I did think I'd quite like to whiz round with the lawnmower again to get the grass and weeds cut down before the really cold weather arrives, but the continual wet weather is preventing that from happening at the moment. Maybe at the weekend it will dry up a little and I can get out. It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I just know that if I don't keep on top of it at some point next spring, I'll trip myself up on a bramble runner or fall headlong into a thistle and then I'll think back to this podcast. The team has got started on cleaning out some feeders this week too. It's easier for us to batch clean them, maybe 20 or 30 at a time. I honestly just can't face cleaning 70 or 80 large feeders in one go. It's just one of those chores for me that needs doing. The great thing with having Steph and Pete helping at the workshop is we can get through a pile a lot quicker with one of us scraping the wax and propolis off, the next person washing all the grime and sugar syrup out of them, and the third one taking the freshly washed feeders outside for a rinse with the hose and draining them ready for stacking in the workshop to dry. Once they've dried out, I think I'll need to move them back to the unit here in Norwich to store so that we just have plenty of room at the workshop for the next job, and that's going to be boiling frames. 
I might enlist the help of a couple more willing souls as the cleaner we can get the frames, the easier they are to boil up and clean. We get someone emptying the boxes and helping with the removal of wax and propolis, another person scraping out the boxes and stacking for scorching, someone else assisting with scraping frames, another one boiling, dunking the frames and then when cleaned, taking them outside for a rinse and a drain. Then of course we need someone taking photographs for the website and social media, someone shooting the video for Patreon. To be honest, all we need is a hair and makeup assistant and we're starting to sound like a blockbuster movie. Seriously though, I'm the kind of person that works best in a team, especially when it comes to cleaning and preparatory work. Otherwise, I do tend to get distracted and it takes an awful lot longer. I was talking to Steph and Pete about plans for next year earlier in the week. It was while we were cleaning the first batch of feeders, in fact, and that's another good reason for having others around while you're doing these mundane jobs. You can discuss plans and formulate ideas. I suggested I might like to fill more boxes with bees next year. I'd recently been thinking about honey security. By that I mean having enough honey to be able to supply all of our current stockists for the coming year without running dry. They do say you should keep a year's worth of stock back for that terrible year when there is no honey production at all. But each time we seem to build up our stock, sales seem to increase and deplete our reserves. I'm not complaining, and this year in particular we've seen honey sales grow through our existing stockists as customers look to shop locally perhaps rather than risk mixing in larger supermarkets. It's sometimes difficult to see the positives in this Covid hit year, but some of our smaller local businesses seem to be doing really well, with local customer support and those numbers up and really being supported by their local communities. Let's hope it continues that way for them and for us. Anyway, this is one of the reasons for looking to increase stock and therefore honey production. Demand for our locally produced honey has never been higher. We keep it all batched by apiary, so if a particular apiary has one specific type of plant growing near it, maybe clover or perhaps sweet chestnut, you can really taste it in the honey. And I think our customers appreciate the effort we make to keep the honey unique rather than blending it to one homogenous stock. Not that I could blend it to one homogenous stock in one go anyway. It's a lucky constraint of being a smaller producer that we just don't have the equipment to blend huge volumes of honey. So, back to the boxes. I had a quick count up as I went round the unit here in Norwich and then over at the workshop. And I reckon as a conservative totting up of boxes, I have around 60 that could be set up and have bees put in them. That's brood boxes, empty and sat waiting. The bigger issue will be floors and roofs. I know I have quite a number of these, but I always need extra to be able to carry out spring cleaning, so it will be another count up and back to the workshop to discuss with Pete making up more floors and roofs. I don't think we'll grow by 60 colonies next year, but well, who knows what will happen. I'm sure a lot of beekeepers out there have experienced the seemingly unrelenting and almost exponential increase in colonies. You know the way it works. You buy a couple of nukes because, of course, more experienced beekeepers tell you, myself included, don't just have one colony because if something goes wrong, you need another one to be able to rectify the situation. But the two nukes you get 
also happened to try to swarm in the early season, so you split those into two more boxes. They settle down, but a neighbour who knows you've just started beekeeping has a friend who has a swarm in a bush and could you help out? It's an opportunity not to be missed, so off you go, skep in hand, and that's colony number five. The trouble is, the swarm are really productive and build foundations super fast, along with more queen cells. So you split that colony into a couple of nukes too. Oh, and word has got round you're a beekeeper, and there's another couple of swarms to collect. Before you know it, you're up to 10 beehives and frantically placing orders on websites for more frames and foundation. I bet several of you can relate to this scenario. For some, it's a blessing, others an absolute curse. So with nearly 100 colonies going into the winter, I still don't have an exact figure, but let's call it somewhere between 95 and 100. With nearly 100 colonies going into winter, we'll certainly see lots of opportunity in the spring for splits and increases, so I don't think filling boxes will be a problem. Moving on to the other main topic of today's chat is the recent addition to my beekeeping book collection of a new copy of a much sought-after book called Honey, a comprehensive survey by Dr. Eva Crane. As I mentioned, I've had this book for several years now and I was approached by Northern Bee Books who asked if I'd be happy to review the reprint edition that they've just made available. They sent me a free copy of the paperback reprint edition and I'll put all of the details about the book and also a link to their website in the podcast notes. There's a couple of things to say firstly. I want to read the book bio about Dr Crane and also the details about the book as printed in the reprint edition because, well, they sum up nicely and far better than I ever could who Eva Crane was and what the book is about. So here goes. Dr Eva Crane began her scientific career in the physical sciences. Her interest in bee research was first aroused when she started to keep bees in 1942. When the Bee Research Association, BRA, was founded in 1949, she became its first director. Dr Crane was an energetic leader with a clear vision of how to make bee research globally available in an age before the internet was invented. Under her leadership, the BRA grew to become the centre of the world's knowledge about bees and their products and became known as the International Bee Research Association. Ibra. She was also a prodigious writer herself and produced many major books that have become classics. Honey, a comprehensive study, is such a book. The range of authors, each one a world-leading expert in his or her field, exemplifies Dr Crane's global approach. So that's a little about Dr Eva Crane. What then does the book contain? Well, again, here's the text from the book itself. Bees were producing honey long before man appeared on earth. Honey was one of man's earliest foods and has been valued throughout successive civilizations. Today its popularity is increasing as never before. Here is a lively but authoritative book written by eminent world experts covering the whole subject of honey, its plant sources, its production, marketing and economics. The contributors deal with, for example, the flowers that honey comes from, and the role of the beekeeper, the chemical, physical and biological properties of honey, modern methods of processing, storing and quality control, legislation, world trade, the manifold uses of honey including its fermentation 
and the language of honey. In fact, each chapter is almost a book in itself. So that's from the book. If you've never seen a copy of this book, then you may be surprised just how large it is. Somewhere around 622 pages filled with some amazing detail at a time when scientific study of honeybees and honey generally was on the increase. It's a brick of a book with some really interesting honey topics that cover an amazing breadth of subject, subcategories. The original book was published in 1975 and this is a direct unedited reprint. This obviously has its benefits but also its drawbacks. Somewhat amazingly, we're talking 45 years ago, and like many subjects, the advances in technology and understanding have grown incredibly in that time. So this book gives a view of the knowledge and understanding available at that time. Things, of course, have moved on, and we have many more tools at our disposal now for understanding the science that underpins everything we know about honey. The book is, as the title describes, a survey edited by Eva Crane. The book is a heavy tome, but don't let that put you off. I like to use it as a point of reference, and to help with this, the book is divided into sections containing chapters relevant to that topic. For instance, the first section is called Honey Production, and is led by chapter one written by Dr Crane herself, entitled The Flowers Honey Comes From. As you read through the book, each section focuses in on a particular topic, such as characteristics of honey, preparation of honey for market, honey as a commercial product, and finally, other aspects of honey. As I mentioned, each section breaks down into chapters, focusing on specific areas, such as one of my favourites, chapter 10, producing finely grained or creamed honey by Dr E.J. Dice. This then being the Dice method of producing creamed or soft-set honey that we know and love today, and the method I used to be able to demonstrate making soft-set honey in my YouTube video. If you want to know about honey, then Section 2, Characteristics of Honey, is a great place to start. Composition, physical characteristics, microscopy, and biological properties of honey are all covered. There are areas that cover comb honey, world standards legislation, global trade in honey, mead making, processing and storing honey, and a lot more. As I said at the outset, this is a snapshot of understanding and knowledge in 1975, and much has changed, but much of the detail remains pertinent and relevant today. The photographs in the reprint are both excellent and somewhat disappointing. They show a time when honey production was performed in a very different way to today. I particularly like the small-scale extraction setup that looks like galvanised rubbish bins with frame-spinning units and taps fitted as a conversion. I'm sure it's not, but that's just what it looks like. The reproduction of the photographs are not as good as the originals, understandably, probably due to the fact that the original images are printed on glossy paper, whereas the reprint is fully matte paper. The contrast is a bit flat and it makes seeing some of the detail a little tricky, but don't let that put you off. The valuable stuff is in the individual chapters. I wouldn't suggest reading it cover to cover, but more as a reference point. It's a great book to flick through to the relevant section or chapter that you need and pull out the finer details.
That, I think, is the true value of the book. But I would also add, don't fall into the trap of just taking detail from 1975 and not researching current knowledge to see how further understanding and data has helped improve the picture. If you don't have this book, it's worth it just for the dice method of creamed honey. Put it on your Christmas wish list and look forward to spending some of those long winter days and nights learning about some of the finer detail of honey. Both hardback and softback copies are available, and my thanks again to Northern Bee Books for sending me a reprint copy to review. Well, that's it for another week. Links to all the relevant information will, as usual, be in the podcast notes. But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.